Hey there, sports fan. Welcome to the Draft Site Podcast, your home for all professional sports drafts. Brought to you by DraftSite.com, the original full round mock draft site. Now let's get to the show. Good evening, and welcome to your latest podcast here at DraftSite.com. Once again, DJ Boyer, joined by Zach Gutierrez. Good what's evening, up, what's Zach. Up? How you doing? All is good. We are uh, recording this live. Yeah, um, let's go Mets. Let's go Mets. I, I would I would love to see a Mets Cubs NLDS NLCS. Sorry, that'd be that'd be great. It would be good. Uh, I was kind of I was pulling for the Pirates. This was the year my grandfather passed away. He was a huge Pirate fan ever since the days of Roberto Clemente. Growing up, Me I too. was constantly here. Pirates and Vikings, Bud Grant and Roberto Clemente is two favorite people. And every every year would be. My grandfather would say, one more year. He's given him one more year. So uh, so we thought maybe with his passing that uh, the Pirates would do so. They had a great year, but that one-game buzzsaw with Jake Arrieta. And, uh, good yes, they have been screwed I, by that, uh, that one-game buzzsaw. They haven't scored a run the last two years in that one-game buzzsaw. The last buzzsaw. two years. And they've gone against some pretty formidable pitchers. I mean, Bumgarner in the yeah. playoffs, just unstoppable. In an area I, I still think that was the, the best run I've ever seen. And... Well, we're going to get to the NFL a little bit here. Uh, standout or, or big stories from week five. The one that stands out to me, another big injury, unfortunately, Jamal Charles. Uh, it's one thing that the Chiefs are really struggling out of the gate and, and just not putting things together in the AFC West, and now you lose Jamal Charles, who uh, you could argue over the last three years that there may not have been a more productive back at the NFL level. Just how big and devastating is this injury in Kansas City? It's huge. The entire offense goes through Jamal Charles. I mean, they were a formidable team last year without a receiver catching uh, a touchdown pass. And the, and the reason is because the entire offense goes through Jamal Charles. He's got great hands. He's excellent in picking. He's excellent in pass protection. And it's a real testament to how good he is with the lack of uh, activity that Niall Davis has gotten this year and that I guess the, the new guy, West. But, uh, I mean, he he's like truly the centerpiece. And I'm not sure the exact percentage. But apart from maybe Le'Veon Bell and maybe Matt Forte, he's got to be easily the most used offensive player in the NFL. Yeah, I don't have the percentages in front of me, but I, I would say he, he's definitely he's, right I think there. he's better than both of them, higher than both of them. Not better, but higher. Yeah, I think maybe Forte. I think with, with Bell, I think he's probably the – I think Bell's the best of those three backs, but I think there's just more weapons on Pittsburgh. Uh a team like Kansas City or Chicago probably leans a little more heavily on players like Charles or Forte. But uh, yeah, it, it is a such a bad injury in the fact that I, I thought KC was going to win the West this year, and it's it's looking like the ship is going down pretty quick. But uh, the rich keep getting richer. The the two teams that uh, you know were, were you know won the Super Bowl champions being the Patriots and then the team that came up just short in the, in the Green Bay Packers. Right now, I mean, they got to look like they're on a collision course. The rich keep getting richer, as they say. Uh, it just looks like uh, these teams uh, can do no wrong at this point. Uh, of these two teams, which who, who do you think is actually the best team right now and why? Uh, I would make an argument that I still think the Cardinals uh, are the best team, uh, or the Seahawks, whoever wins the West. Uh, I don't think there's that much separation between the Patriots, the Seahawks, the Cardinals, and the Packers. Uh, but something about the Packers makes me think that they're due. Uh, they, I'm just a little worried about the Packers with already losing uh, Jordy Nelson. Like they're one, 
they're one Randall Cobb going down from really being thin at receiver. But uh, you know they've looked they've looked really good. But it's still early in the season, uh, and I and I still think if if it's at a neutral field, I think I personally think and I know they have a loss at the, at the Cardinals as of right now are the best team. Well, I would I would have to say the Patriots, and but I do agree with your assessment as far as injuries because. The one player that I thought we were going to see more of, it was not really going to be Randall Cobb, but Devontae Adams really kind of came on at the end of last season, really putting up some big numbers. Liked him coming out of Fresno State. Liked him so much, he's a very high draft pick on my uh, on fantasy team, and unfortunately that has not really panned out thus far. Matter of fact, I got off to a 2-0 start, now three straight losses. I had to hold Le'Veon Bell under 16 points last night to win, and unfortunately that did, did not happen, so... Oh, well, we press on there. But I just like what the, the Green Bay defense has done there. You know, apart from Matthews, there's really not what you would call a franchise-type player on that defense, but they're so versatile. They give you so many different looks. Of, you know, a coach like Dom Capers, who's been around and pretty much seen everything that there is to see, you just like the versatility. It's a very underrated secondary. And I know this is something that Jared has talked about at length uh, when he's been – on shows in the past, really liking the Green Bay defense, and it just looks like they're they're gelling more and more, and it's just it's like it's maybe it's not just all about offense at this point. And of course, it doesn't it doesn't really hurt that he's got the best quarterback in the NFL and Aaron Rodgers, but but I do got to agree uh, that injuries could be more of a of a problem at wide receiver, especially with uh, you know Adams is beat up, Jordy Nelson is out, and Eddie Lacy really hasn't got up to a a big start. They haven't really needed him, but uh, to me, it's the Packers right now. But you know, it's an interesting assessment about the Cardinals. They're they're not only winning; they're making it look easy this last couple of weeks. And they're deep. They're, I mean, they are. Uh, if Carson Palmer stays healthy, that's the one big if. But I mean, at running back, they're deep. At wide receiver, they're deep. They got one of the best home field advantages. I mean, granted, they got the Seahawks in the division, and we're also sleeping on. I mean, I I bring it up, you know, at length. But I'm a Steelers fan. Uh, you know, don't sleep on the Steelers. Uh, don't sleep on the Giants. I'm talking about teams that once if we're talking about Super Bowl contenders, and definitely don't sleep on the Bengals right now because, from a weapons perspective, and with the way Andy Dalton's playing, I mean they they got a lot they got a lot of talent, and we haven't even brought up the Falcons who are undefeated, or the Panthers. Yeah, I know the Falcons a team that I really like as well. But it's interesting you mentioned Andy Dalton. I thought this was, you know, a uh, You've kind of been waiting for that, that Bengals collapse. They, they, they put together these good regular seasons. They fall apart in the playoffs. But aside from Aaron Rodgers right now, Andy Dalton's not only playing well. You got you could really make a serious case for him as the NFL MVP right now. He's really just been playing out of his mind. And I think a lot of it, just watching him on film has to do with his progressions and the, and the fact that he's completing more passes and making more plays, looking – at his second, third, and sometimes even his fourth options, the fact that he's just looking so much more comfortable in the pocket than, than I've ever seen him, um, not, not panicking. Having Eifert, having Eifert because Eifert is an absolute monster. Yeah, and that, that's a, a player that unfortunately spent most of the year uh, injured last season, and, and getting him back now, Eifert, the third-year player out of Notre Dame, it does make a big, big difference. Uh, I think another it really opens up things for everybody. I mean, I'm, I'm telling you, when you watch him with Eifert, especially in the red zone, he commands so much attention. And he, I mean, he's really, he's really an elite player. So, uh, I mean, that's that's really brought their game and the depth at running back. They have a perfect, uh, you know, 
Gio Bernard and uh, Jeremy Hill really complement each other perfectly. So uh, I mean, they got a, they got a nice situation, and their defense their defense is swarming. Sticking with the uh, quarterback uh, kind of situation here, what's going on in Dallas? The fact that you know they start two and zero, they lose Tony Romo, Des Bryant is already out with an injury after that opening game. Brandon Whedon, unfortunately, looks like he's going to be benched. It looks like Matt Castle is going to be the newly acquired Matt Castle. I think they got him about two weeks ago. Looks like he's going to be the next player to take the reins at quarterback for Dallas. Uh, just just the fall there. Is this all on Brandon Whedon, or are there bigger problems in Big D uh, in your estimation, Zach? No. <laughs> it just shows you how important the position is. There are no problems in Big D. I mean, Big D has a has a really, really solid team. The defense is, has definitely let up, but I think a lot of that's because of the, the pressure the offense has put on them. Brandon Whedon has got a strong arm, and that is literally it. I remember they threw, they threw up a diagram of like his throws as a professional quarterback, and he's thrown like six passes to the left side of the field. I mean, you talk about a guy that doesn't use the whole field. Like, after watching Phillip Rivers last night use the whole field, you got to appreciate a quarterback that, uses the entire 53 yards in terms of in terms of width in the field, and that's just something Whedon doesn't do. And I think Castle, even though he's got a mule for an arm, is going to be very refreshing. It's a shame that Dunbar's out, but I expect McFadden to pick up right where he left off in terms of catches. I think McFadden had like nine catches last week. The offensive line's still there. They can still run the ball, but, I mean, they, there's just no threat of passing. And uh, I, if, if they made one big mistake in the offseason, in an offseason where I think last two offseasons where the Cowboys have been really making great moves, it's not getting a backup quarterback for Tony Romo because Tony Romo always seems to be out for, you know, a certain amount of time every year, even if it's two or three games. And Whedon is just, uh, I mean, he's so bad. He, he's, he's, he's got zero anticipation. He doesn't see the field. Uh, he's, and there, there's a reason why Castle's supplanting him after being with the team, like, what, like two weeks yeah, that that's true, and and now you look at at the Cowboys at two and three. You know, you can't really say it's all doom and gloom because really they're only a game out of first place because the rest, you know, the whole division. Uh, the Giants have a are three and two, really leading that division. But then you've got a, a gaggle of two and three teams with Dallas, Washington, and Philadelphia. Philadelphia being a little bit behind the eight ball because they've lost two games to Dallas and Washington. But uh, it's a big Monday night matchup coming up this week, the Giants and the Eagles. Uh, huge, the Giants huge. Lose. Giants look good. I, I was at the Giants game this weekend. Great game. Really, really. Talk about back-to-back really, really excellent primetime games with the with the, the Giants, uh, 49ers, and the, and the Steelers Chargers. But, uh, I mean, Eli looks really good. I really like the committee they got at running back. The defense st- stepped up when it mattered. Uh, and... Yeah, I, we want to throw names into the MVP race. Let's let's not forget about Eli because I'm telling you, he is surgical. Watching him play in person, he he's uh, he, he's a virtuoso, like literally a maestro of the offense. And it's funny to watch Kaepernick play because you don't realize how bad Kaepernick is until you get to see the entire field because he just doesn't make quick decisions. He he's not accurate. He he makes it look difficult. Quarterbacks like Brady and Eli now. And uh, and Rodgers, they make it look easy. Uh, Kaepernick makes it look difficult. Now I'm, I, I think he's, you know, he's got to be in a, a really particular offense to succeed. But he, statistically, he's like, oh, Kaepernick had a good game. Take it from somebody that saw the whole field. I mean, he is, he's not an NFL quarterback. I got you there. And you got to think about it. The, the, the Giants are three and two, but they could 
realistically be five and five and zero, dropping their first two games, and those were both winnable games for the Giants. So if they should have won the first game, right now, they probably should have won the second game. But they, there was no excuse exactly. to lose that first game. So I'm I, telling you, they I, look I good. don't want to hear that they smell. I, I got Giant season tickets, and it's got that energy in the air. It did the years they went to the Super Bowl. I mean, they—that's a team that. I would never count out, and uh, a team that looks very scary even early in the season at being only three and two. But we find out a lot next week with a great, great game. With the Eagles really come to life. We knew the Eagles' defense. Is, it's funny to say that the Eagles' defense is good, but no, when they're giving Demarco Murray the ball, the offense looks looks decent. And uh, I mean, I'm I'm really, really looking forward to that game. Yeah, and uh, you know, so much has been made about the Eagles and the the up and down play and. It was good just seeing the, the offensive line kind of gel a little bit. But, again, the, the bashing, I think, was warranted. So so much uh, struggles there on offense. But what, the only thing that really got me upset, and, and you make so much about being a Steelers fan, you know, I, I do come clean, I am an Eagles fan, was the fact that, that people were really bashing the defense. And I just could not understand it because the defense, this is the best defense I think the Eagles have had in the last six or seven years. And – Really, you, you kind of saw how important the offensive line is in this past game because as bad as the play's been for the Eagles, there's only a handful of teams, maybe two or three, that if I were to look at them across the board and say, you know, this line's probably worse than what we have in Philadelphia, New Orleans would have been on that list, and you absolutely saw uh, what actually happened. And, and, you know, Fletcher Cox, who, uh, say what you will about the defense, Fletcher, Fletcher Cox is one of the best defensive linemen in the NFL, and he absolutely – uh, just had a monster game. I'm not sure when they announced it, but probably a, a front runner or could could be winning the defensive player of the week after three sacks and two forced fumbles, and just seemed like he was living in the in the defensive backfield. So I mean, I, I still think the Giants are the better team. Uh, I think the the Eagles are just so streaky. If if they put something together, I, I think they make this interesting. But it's really more of a must win game for them because yes, the Eagles. Could be three and three if they win this game, but you got to remember, as I said, they've already lost against the Redskins, already lost against the, the Cowboys. If they go two and four, uh, losing to the Giants, oh, and three in the, the division, bigger, the bigger number there is zero oh and three in the division, and at that point, uh, it's it's really really a tough hole to dig themselves out of. And, and also to lose to go zero and three in the division and lose prime time in Philadelphia would be a little demoralizing. But I mean, I like them as much as the Giants just because. Like you said, their defense, I mean, Fletcher Cox is a monster. Their defense is very, very good. All right, well, we're going to shift gears a little bit over to the college side of the house. And, you know, there's a lot of big stories here. You know, more, more winning for Ohio State. Uh, the, the fact that the teams that are right behind them, it seems to be that, that group of three. Uh, we've had Michigan State, who's, who's been winning, but not really in impressive fashion. TCU always seems to alternate between a, a game that's close and a game where they blow somebody out and, and Baylor, who's just been absolutely schooling people, so much to the fact that Baylor's actually jumped to number two in our latest Fierce 40. I, I just think that Baylor's just really put it together and been the most sound of those teams that are trailing Ohio State. Even though Ohio State, you know, they're, they're, they're struggling a little bit with the, the three-quarterback system that they're going to now, and you, know, you still got to say they're, they're the most impressive team in the land and, until you knock the champs off. Uh, you got to give it up for the Buckeyes. But Michigan State's a team that I really like, but you know they're finding a way to win. It's not pretty, but, but Baylor, uh, just at some point, this seems to be even more impressive than the offensive display they had last year. They're just making it look very, very easy. 
uh, we're not going to find out anything about the Big 12 until November. Because I'll tell you right now that Baylor is going to smash teams until they get to the end of November. Don't for, don't sleep on Oklahoma State. But they're going to get in the mix, too, at the end of November. All these elite Big 12 teams play each other at the end of the year. So, I mean, just Baylor's going to keep smashing teams. Uh, TCU worries me a little bit because their defense has just given up way too many points. Uh, but, yeah, if I, as a Buckeye fan, uh, uh, Baylor would definitely be the, uh, you know, the team uh, that, that looks to be the most threatening apart from uh, also don't 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 sleep on Utah and also Bama's definitely not out of it, but uh, I mean Utah, Bama, and uh, Baylor seem to be the most threatening teams. Yeah, and Utah they get that early season victory over over Michigan. I That's believe that was good, right? Twenty four in week one, and you know oh the Michigan faithful oh it's going to take so long for Jim Harbaugh. Look what they do this week thirty eight nothing absolutely trouncing Northwestern. Who those were probably the two best statistical defenses in the Big Ten coming in, and, and Michigan right now, the defense is just playing out of its mind. I believe they're actually... Crazy. They played very well against Utah, too, and that one loss. So, I mean, I mean they they're, did. they're very solid defense. And I believe they are now leading the NCAA in, in points per game. I believe it, it's something absurd. I think it's like 6.7 points they're giving up. So, hats off to, to Jim Harbaugh. I mean, Michigan's never short of recruits. They always have talented players that are going to play there, whether they're 12-0 and 0 or 6-6. Six and six. You know, you're big blue, you're Michigan, you're always going to get a lot of very good recruits. But uh, he, he's finding some different ways to do it. It's not the same real blueprint on offense. It's just, just tough, hard-nosed defense, uh, causing turnovers and just limiting mistakes. And, and yeah, Definitely really very, li- very limiting mistakes. If you looked at uh, Rudock's numbers uh, throughout the – and you would say, what's their record right now? You would, you would not expect what it is because he's – probably the most con- conservative quarterback in, in college football. I mean, I, 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 I don't have a computer in front of me. He probably has like four, four passing touchdowns this year. But defensively, I mean, they got skill. They got skill in the trenches. And then Jabril Peppers, uh, not this year, but maybe next year, that could be a guy that's, you know, a top ten pick. He's, he's a man. I mean, he is – He they redshirted him last year. He looks – he passes the eye test. He passes every test. He tackles in the backfield. He looks like a guy that's going to be, you know, like I said, a top ten pick. Maybe not, maybe not next year, but definitely the year after. And another team that's caught a lot of eyes and kind of jumped into the top ten now, the University of Florida. You know, the defense has been good the last few years, but getting um, some stable quarterback play is, is something that we haven't seen in Florida since, dare I say, the days of Tim Tebow. But now, unfortunately, they've lost their quarterback for the year for PED use, and, and that's not just for the season. That's a full calendar year, and, and Florida's got a, a big game coming up. It's going to be a, a matchup of, of top ten teams here. So is the defense going to be enough to carry the Gators? Do they have enough, do they have enough weapons on offense? Or, or I mean, they're already leaning on their defense so much as it is, as, as talented as it is, and a player like Vernon Hargraves is – likely the top cornerback taken in this next draft. But I just don't know if, if Florida's going to have enough to actually take the SEC now. I'm not sure if they'll have enough to take the SEC. I don't think they will, but both Florida. Uh, I think they got enough to compete with LSU because LSU has really not had to play a game yet where they've been down. I'm very interested to see how they play when they're down 14 points and uh, and they're forced to pass the ball. So, I mean, that's something, like I said, I'm, I'm really interested to see, and I'm not sure they're going to be able to come back. I think I don't think they got the firepower offensively to compete with Bama. Um, 
and then we we did we kind of just brushed over this, but we found out a lot about Michigan this week and a lot about Michigan State. That's like another game that we kind of just went right over. But th- those two teams are playing this week too, so I mean it's it's gonna get real. And I'm glad you bring up Utah because as good as Utah's been, we really hadn't seen that breakout game from Devontae Booker. I mean we've been waiting for him. I don't think he had a 100 yard game until this this past week. They really kind of leaned on him. I think it was 224 yards, and he just. He just came out. You knew it was coming. You knew that the coming out party for Booker was going to be there. And to me, it was just frightening to see how good Utah was without really their best offensive weapon kind of being leaned upon or, or performing up to par. They, they've been doing it with other players stepping up. So and for that fact, I think maybe Utah is, is the team to beat in the Pac-12. I think they definitely are, especially, I mean, the, the debacle at USC. I feel like since Carroll, since Pete Carroll's left, it's just been a complete mess there. But, uh, um, I mean, well, well, also there's a great there's a great Pac-12 game on uh, uh, Thursday night, so we'll find out a little bit. But I think definitely the Pac-12. I mean, they're the class of the Pac-12. Uh, I don't think there's really uh, another team apart from maybe UCLA that uh, you could you could put um you could put on their level, especially with USC being so so bad. But then again, don't sleep on Stanford. Yeah, I believe you're you're talking about the two teams that are going to be facing off this Thursday. Not only they'll be facing off, but they both had the week off. These are teams that are going to be well rested. Uh, Great game. A half going going into that Thursday Thursday night game, and again Stanford, another team where kind of laid that egg. They lost sixteen to six in that opener against Northwestern, but Stanford's come back and they're not really doing it with that strong strong running game that we've seen in the past. Kevin Hogan is another player who again just has just the solid mechanics, but doesn't put up the huge numbers, doesn't have the huge arm, is kind of a, of average size, but but it, he just seems to make good decisions when, when it, it comes with yeah, a... Don't you know, sleep on him in, really in the draft because he years. isn't, uh, he is not average size. He, he's a big, big boy, and he makes, he does make good decisions. That's somebody that's like a, maybe a little less version of Connor Cook, but I'm interested to see. Uh, that's somebody that could, could finish this season strong and... Uh, People tend to think that he's he's like a, an ordinary in terms of size and arm strength, but he's I mean he's a he's a big, very strong, very smart kid. And another, you know, just saying how important quarterback play has been in the Pac-12. Jared Goff, and a player I know that you've been very high on. You know, I like him. I think he's a first-round quarterback. I think that the fact that we were hearing more and more about him being the top overall pick, I think that was just unwarranted. I, I don't think Look premature. <laughs> that kind of talent exists there. He, but even after a five-interception game, he's still a very good quarterback. And the thing when I watch him on, on film that I really like, and it's something that I pointed out on uh, draftsite.com this past week, is he seems to do better when he's under pressure when he's actually got time to throw. It's very reminiscent of Teddy Bridgewater when he came out a couple years ago. A lot of people thought he was going to be the, the top player taking the draft. And then the more people saw him on film – it's not the plays that he made, it's the plays that he missed or didn't make. And I see that sometimes with golf, but again, it seems like he's coachable because when he's under duress and he's blitzed, he's one of the best quarterbacks in college. And to me, that just sometimes... But he can't teach. Uh, I, I just think that uh, sometimes uh, prospects are overthinking things or uh, maybe it's just the system that they're working in. But when it just comes to trusting his instincts, he's as good as they come. And I think that's another reason why Connor Cook is going to be one of the top, if not the 
uh, first quarterback selected in this draft because he's another player. He's not going to put up monster stats, but boy, is he good at beating the blitz. And you really got to be careful about sending too many players uh, after these guys because they can just burn you making a quick decision or whether it's getting away from the rush and making a big play down the field. As much as we've talked about the, the quarterbacks, uh, something that's, that's coming out on draftsite.com this week, I've made it very known. The more that I kind of catch up on, on my small school prospects, Carson Wentz of North Dakota State, a player that I really liked, was held in high regard after last year, you know, 25 touchdowns, 10 interceptions, 6'6", 235. He's got that prototypical NFL build. But he seems to have just found it this year. He, he's just kind of taken his game to another level. Uh, without an interception thus far, I think he's got 12 touchdowns. For me, I'm, he is my favorite quarterback in this draft, and I really got to go back and look maybe the last time if it's ever happened where the first quarterback taken in a draft was not a Division One quarterback. But I think there's a distinct possibility, maybe coming from a small school like that, being the top quarterback might be, might be kind of rough. But I think this guy's got to be a first or second-round pick at the very latest. Uh, Flacco was the second, I think. Yeah, and that, I remember the guy that you know, and he's small school. Small school started at at Pitt and then went to uh, Delaware, but uh, you know we've seen Delaware crank out. Uh, and I'm glad to bring up Delaware because a player that I think that went Rich Gannon, uh, a lot bigger than Rich Gannon, but just the just his style of play. And he's not a big runner, but uh, he actually uh, can can rush for a few touchdowns. He's mobile, kind of like Ben Roethlisberger. Seems to just sense where pressure is coming from in the pocket. And if you put a body on him with that size, it, it's hard to bring him down. I've seen many a play, and I, I know you have being a Steeler fan, where Ben's just making a pass with a player or two draped on him because it's so hard to bring him down. And he just, not that Ben's going to beat anyone in a foot race, but I think he's a lot more mobile than people give him credit for. And it's just, mobility's not just running for 10 or 15 yards and first downs. It's just making that step up in the pocket or rolling out and finding enough time to find it downfield. And that's where I see how the Carson went. That's why I really, really like him. I'm, I'm anxious to see him the rest of that, the year. That's why I like Goff, because Goff does that. Uh, and that's why I hate Kaepernick. I don't like to use the word hate, but, uh, I mean, there's no quarterback, maybe in the history of the NFL, that's just physically gifted. I'm throwing even Mike Vick in there. You could, you could throw Cam Newton in there. But I'm telling you, he, his pocket presence is terrible. He only He can only... He, he just steps up and he starts running right away. It, it's, it's painful to watch. And I'm telling you, when you when you look at the stats from the Giant game, he really, uh, statistically, it was one of his better games of the season, apart from the Steeler game that was complete blow. But, like, he he didn't make a single decisive decision. Uh, right away he takes his eyes out, off the receivers downfield and starts scrambling around and uh, – and that's not the type of athleticism that, that is sustainable in the NFL. Though defense coordinators will, will eat people like him up. That's why you need that. That when we say when we talk about being uh, mobile, I, I mean uh, ten times out of ten when you're talking about finding a good quarterback, it's it's that pocket awareness. Like Brady, you know, who's running a probably a five two forty, but in in a phone booth, he's he's as agile as they come. And uh, I, I'm just very excited to see how the rest of the season is going to play out for Wentz. And I'm going to say it now before we get to the end of the year, and then you're going to hear on a lot of the big channels about this small school quarterback that's coming out of nowhere. You heard it here, folks. You heard it here first. Carson Wentz. To me right now, he's my num- not, not only a player I love, He to me he's the best quarterback in this draft. Uh, how do you spell I'm, his last I'm name? That's what I've seen. 
W-E-N-T-Z. Um, All right. Absolutely. Yeah, I'll, I'll watch them. I'll watch them. I'll them tonight. Fantastic quarterback. One other thing to touch on, this was an incident that I, I found very, very interesting, and there's so much that happened in college. We haven't even touched upon the surprise resignation of Steve Spurrier, which, which came out of nowhere. They touched a little bit upon the debacle at USC and the Sarkeesian, and it looks like big, big problems going on there. I think we knew that there was some disarray, but I don't think anyone realized just how bad things were. But the game with South Carolina and LSU, of course, that was moved, excuse me, to Baton Rouge because of the uh, flooding that had occurred in South Carolina. And after the game, you know, Fournette, who ironically had 158 yards rushing, which was his lowest total of the year. People, I love it. People were talking about the off week that Leonard Fournette had with a 87-yard touchdown run and 158 yards. I unacceptable. It's unacceptable by his standards. <laughs> Absolutely unacceptable. His, his yards per carry actually dipped. He's at 8.6 now for the year. It's absolutely ridiculous. But he did make the, the bold statement that he was going to auction off his jersey after the game to help these South Carolina flood victims, which, you know, as a humanitarian thing, seems like a, a very classy move, uh, a player that obviously garnered a lot of national attention. About 15 minutes after making that announcement, LSU put the quitter uh, and actually said that he was not able to do that. It was an NCAA rules violation. And I, I think it's no secret that we all know the NCAA and some of the policies they put out there and, and micromanaging, it just seems to be a little bit ridiculous. But the NCAA actually stepped up and did something that I think a lot of people weren't expecting. Within the hour, they said that, yes, they were going to allow Fournette to donate the jersey. I believe the jersey went for $7,500. So good thing. You know, it's going to help some, some people in that area. But to me, I think it's going to raise a bigger question, and I think this could actually come back and bite the NCAA right in the butt because their highly publicized case that was brought, brought against them by a number of players, not just in football but in basketball as well. I believe it was the O'Bannons from UCLA that had a, a large part in this case had sued the NCAA because of jersey sales and the fact that the NCAA, they claimed, were, were making money off of their performances uh, their likenesses and selling jerseys, sometimes even with their numbers representing their universities. Ultimately, the NCAA won, a, I'd say, a large portion of that, that battle. It, it kind of was a, a split decision, if you, if you look at the card, per se. But uh, the ruling was, and the NCAA's argument was, that it really wasn't the individual's players that were allowing them to market or, or profit. It was really just the university themselves. Well, to me, uh, we discussed this a little bit before we, we went on the air. Does that jersey go for $7,500 if, if a person knows that, a, like, the backup kicker wore that? But the fact that it's got Leonard Fournette's number and, and that was worn in-game in is probably the fact that it goes for $7,500. So in doing a, a good thing and what seems to be a good gesture, does the NCA actually hurt itself and maybe winds up putting its foot in its mouth? Because I think someone's going to come back now and say, wait a minute. This is not what was decided last year. This was exactly what you argued against. I mean, you already know you already know that that's was going to be the case. Uh, that good players when you go to when you go to an Ohio State game and uh, when you go to the gift shop, there's going to be the numbers. They're going to be one. They're going to be twelve. They're going to be sixteen. There's the numbers they're going to be selling. You know, they're not they're not really they're not really hiding it. They're not going to be selling thirty nine at an Ohio State game. 
they're going to be selling Braxton Miller. They're going to be selling Cardell Jones. They're going to be selling JT Barrett, Ezekiel Elliott. So, I mean, that's been going on. I mean, every time I've ever been to a college football game, the numbers happen to, to, to be the numbers of the star players. Uh, but two things I want to point out. 7,500, that's, that's a steal, I think, for, for a game use for net using. I wish I got him on that. I wish I got him on that. Uh, and uh, the other thing is, is like they they were kind of put. I feel like Fournette was kind of doing that just to like take a jab at him because you really you really can't say no to hurricane victims, you know. So it, maybe that's the thing that opens up the floodgate. But uh, I, I you know it's it's a, it's known the disdain that these top college players have for the NCAA. That, the schools that are making so much money off these kids. Like go, like I said, go to a, go to a, a, a campus bookstore and and look at the jersey numbers and then compare them to the players on the roster and you'll see. Like it's, it's the good players. They're not they're not selling arbitrary numbers. Yeah, it's uh, it was just hypocrisy at its finest, and it, to me, it's just kind of ironic that it comes in a situation where the actually the NCAA seemed to come out of its shell and actually go against kind of its robotic kind of rulings that where they don't seem very flexible and they actually do something that seems to be kind of a, in a humanitarian way helping those around them and kind of taking those circumstances into effect and making what was kind of an emotional decision and going to help some, some people. And, you know, I think it's really going to hurt them in the long run. I'm just waiting. I think within the next six months, someone's going to make a big deal about this. This could be filed in court again or another case. I can almost see it now, and it's just going to lead to another battle, and it's going to be tied up in litigation in courtrooms, and it's just sad. I just wish there was a better answer uh, for for the NCA and what they do for student athletes, or, or what sometimes they don't. I think there is a better answer. Just let them, let let them make money off off signing autographs. I don't. I've never understood the harm in it. It's one thing to like cut them in on the licensing you know, of, of the jerseys and the video games, but just let them make money signing autographs. It's a happy medium. Yeah, there's, there's got to be something there that all parties involved are, are going to be satisfied. And maybe this is something, you know, we heard years and years about a college football playoff. It finally came to fruition. It was a great playoff. You look at last year, Ohio State and Oregon are probably the two teams that may have been on uh, on the outside looking in, and they actually play for the – the championship game and, and, and Ohio State, the team that many people thought should not have gotten in over a team like TCU or even Baylor, and they wind up running the table and, and rightfully so made it look easy. So, you know, maybe this is just the, the times are changing and maybe we're going to have to wait five to ten years before something comes down, but hopefully this or, or some other type of high-profile litigation or, or case in the near future is going to lead to a change here, and I think that's something that it's just going to benefit both sides. You're going to see people. Maybe they'll they'll open up some alternatives. Look at look at Miles Jack. You know he's already he already he's, he already left UCLA. You know he got injured and he's out of there. You know, so maybe maybe they'll uh, open up like I don't know. Maybe maybe players will start playing abroad to make a little bit of money if they're if it's not affecting their draft status like they're doing in the NBA. Maybe maybe somebody could come in and make like uh you know a secondary secondary league that's uh you know competitive for people for the first three years out of high school. But uh, I think uh, if, if anything if anything ever does happen, it will be, uh, you know, the NCAA will, you know, have to, uh, to rethink 
and maybe, maybe the NFL has to rethink about letting players in, you know, when when they're ready to come in. And, and that's a good good kind of a thought on your part or a good example to use, the fact that uh, the NBA, of course, they say that players have to have at least one year of college experience under their belt or, you know, one year removed from high school. And we're kind of waiting for some players to actually go abroad. And it happened this year. There were two first-round draft picks, both playing in China. I believe one was in China. The other, it was Turkey or Greece. I'm not sure which country it was. But you, but you better believe that they're going to be looked at closely because if these players start having success, you know, we're going to see more and more of these young players go, wait, you know, they're playing a, a high level of competition. They're, they're still able to. They're traveling the world. Here. They're making money, and it's not really affecting their draft status. I'm very curious to say what Emmanuel Monday uh, would have been drafted if, if he went to, to SMU or where Brandon Jennings would have been drafted if he went to USC. But, I mean, those guys both still went in the top ten and ended up making a million dollars and getting some, some pretty different but very good life experience and a million dollars. So, I mean. <laughs> That's you know money talks. Any uh, parting parting thoughts before we we sign off from, from Zach? Don't sleep on Zeke for Heisman, baby. Everyone's talking Fournette. Don't sleep on Zeke. Absolutely. If, if LSU starts to run into some trouble here, um, they're go. I promise you, they're going to run into some trouble. Watch LSU against against Auburn. I mean, they just they start off smacking them right away. Uh, I mean, and Auburn really really is in competition. Mississippi State kept it close, but like Mississippi State's not explosive. I, I just don't see them. I don't see them uh, beating Bama. No, I think a lot of people write Bama off early on, but to me, they're, they're still they've got to be the favorite in the SEC. So definitely, I mean, who's better than Bama in the SEC? No one really. I, I think as long as uh, Bama, I think they're a little more agile along the defensive line. I think they've had some trouble these last few years with the mobile quarterbacks, and I think that's something that they've made a. With, um, kind of a conscious effort to kind of address and the way that they substitute players in and out there and getting people that are a little more, uh, I'd say, athletic and, and not just the 300 to 310-pound lumbering bodies that they bring in four deep and just kill everyone. Uh, I think that the, the defense is much improved. So, uh, yeah, you're right. They, I mean, they've been – look at some of these guys they have. Like, look at, look at Courtney Upshaw. I look at him, I'm like, how the hell is this guy a linebacker? And in, in college, he's like 290 pounds. I mean, I look at him now, and I'm like, what the hell? And he's still, he moves around. But like, like you said, Landon Collins, absolute, just gigantic. Rolando McClain, like all these guys they have. Are, they haven't had any, like, slender defensive players. Yeah, it's got to bring back uh, LeVon Kirkland memories uh, for the Steelers for you. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, Umshaw is cut from similar cloth to LeVon Kirkland in terms of just size. I mean, look at, I, everyone, it's crazy how big Bam is. Uh, Eddie Lacy, you know, what the, how is that guy running back? Look at him. Yeah, and I still I think Bell Cow. That's that's one of the best nicknames in sports. I absolutely love it. But I've got him on my fantasy team, so you better find the end zone quick. I'm getting a little uh, not liking the three game skid that I'm on now. No, yeah, oh, I, uh, I'm, I mean I'm doing well in fantasy. I only took cooks, but I, I'm just curious. I want I'd like to see Lacey lose some weight. You know how like Le'Veon Bell came in the league, lost a lot of weight. Jeremy Hill lost weight. Eddie Lacey's the only one. He just like he seems to have gained weight. Yeah, well. But we'll see. All right. This year, my, my, my fantasy team of Monica loves Clinton Dix. They, uh, we, uh, <laughs> the, oh, that's yeah, with did you a, take of that or did you steal that? From, oh, no, no. I, I thought about it. 
I've got the uh, Clinton Dix holding up the jersey with some uh, stains on it with Monica. With uh, holy dude, that that's oh, yeah. the best fantasy name I've ever heard. <laughs> I will have I will have to send you the logo, and it just says, mm, "I love me some Clinton Dix." So yeah, it's oh right my there. god, that's amazing. It's better than last year's when when you would log in the page, it would play Aerosmith's "Love in an Elevator" and had the rolling uh, video of Ray Rice decking his girlfriend. So. Uh, very politically correct memes that I try to come up with. Yeah, but I, uh, that, that's like the Ray Rice thing. Like I, I feel like 50% of teams last year had a Ray Rice reference. Like, that's so out of the blue. <laughs> Quentin Dix. <laughs> that's so good. That's so good. I'm, I can't wait to text that to somebody. But all right. I thank you for that. That, that brightened my night. <laughs> oh, no problem. And, and as many right. as my uh, Raven fans love McNair way to heaven when Steve McNair died. So uh, I'll always try to come up with some <laughs> <laughs> Titans fans too. He's a Titan. Make <laughs> their way to heaven. Holy shit! You should do this professionally. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Those are fantastic. Well, uh, last year my baseball team was Preparation HDH, which uh, you know just added to the Preparation H bottle. Now this year, yeah, you can make. This is good. This, for Kate, this is for, gold. For Caitlin, Caitlin and the switch hitters. And it's just a picture of. Oh my god! Just, oh my god! Just says, you got uh, it for days. It just says, just throw me strikes, baby. I'm done with balls. I'm done with balls. So, uh, we should have just lied and said it's Monday night and made a, like an exact prediction of the Monday night football game. Oh, you know, we haven't been that great on, on Monday night. That would have, that would have been No, but I've, I've been terrible. I'm over, I think. <laughs> and it, it's, I'm probably an over or a one for it. It's been pretty bad over here as well. So that's, uh, in hindsight, that's probably something we should have done. But Yeah, we got the Monday night. But uh, next Next week, don't be fooled by the records. That that uh, as we've already covered, that that should be a good game, and hopefully, it's one that we actually, uh, with our next podcast, we tackle before that game comes on, and maybe we'll make that accurate prediction. We promise we won't be doing it afterwards, guys. We'll be doing it before the game actually happens. Well, that seems to be a a pretty good way to kind of end tonight's show. And again, we're we'll be coming at you next week, and um, I think we're going to be getting the the mailbag, but we seem to be running out of time. But uh, we've been saving a few uh, emails, and hopefully we get to some, so as more of those emails are kind of coming in, address some of the, the emails that are coming in from our readers, and think up a couple other kind of fun scenarios, or if you've got an idea out there of, of things you want to hear on the um, on the podcast, specific questions you might have, or scenarios that you want myself or Zach to discuss, please come to the website, please send us an email, and we'll be sure to try and tackle those for you in one of our shows in the near future. But thank you so much. Have a great week, yeah. everyone. Be sure to come back and, and look at DraftSide.com. And uh, thank you, Zach, for participating. I'm DJ Boyer. Have a great week, everyone. Mm-hmm.